Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Seth Rogavoy. Seth is the artistic director of the Yiddish Book Center's annual Yidstock Festival of New Yiddish Music, and he's the author of The Essential Klezmer, a music lover's guide to, U- to Jewish roots and soul music. Seth is a contributing editor at The Forward and the author of Bob Dylan, Prophet, Mystic, Poet. His cultural commentary and observations are included in a weekly Substack newsletter called Reflections and Illuminations, which can be found at sethrogavoy.substract.com. He lives in Hudson, New York, and is currently writing a book about George Harrison for Oxford University Press. Welcome. Thank you, Lisa. It's, uh, thanks for having me here. Always a pleasure to have you here um, and great to chat about all things music and otherwise related. I think sometimes you even give me film recommendations, but today we'll keep the focus on this year's virtual Yidstock as it is uh, countdown week to Sunday, July 14th. So uh, this year's program, shall we say, is a little bit different, um, but nonetheless, very exciting to talk about for our listeners. It's a 75 minute pre-recorded program. It'll feature songs related to Yiddish and social justice as uh, it relates to the Yiddish Book Center's Decade of Discovery, which this year is themed to Yiddish and social justice. So I'd love to start off, Seth, talking a little bit about the history of Yiddish songs that have historically taken on issues related to social justice, uh, protest, etc. Can you speak a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, my understanding of it, at least, is that, um, you know, back in the mid to late 19th century in Eastern Europe, when you have uh, the beginning of the uh, flowering of Yiddish literature, maybe not even yet the flowering, the the budding of, of Yiddish literature and poetry and songwriting. And just as as in any of those kinds of cultural uh, um, uh, media, you have different kinds of uh, songs and stories that are told. Uh, obviously, in, with songs, probably the first kinds of songs are very often love songs and and songs about the home and babies and family and sing-alongs and that kind of thing. So, um, you have that in literature, you have it in drama, you have it in poetry. And, uh, you know, by the end of the 19th century in Yiddish, this was a thriving language of, of culture. And included in that was songwriting, which didn't take long to expand its uh, reach to embrace topical songwriting, um, in songs, uh, labor anthems, protest songs, humanitarian odes, songs of struggle, songs against the czar, songs for the czar. Uh, even by the 19th century, you, in Yiddish, you have uh, Zionist songs uh, being sung in, in Eastern Europe, songs based on whatever the uh, great poets of the time, whose, whose poetry was often adapted to songs, and, you know, songs based in... Um, Jewish tradition and Bible stories and Talmudic uh, tales and Hasidic tales. So, so that's that's really uh, the the beginning and, and the efflorescence of it. And this continues, uh, as all things do, through through the twentieth century, through 
uh, Yiddish-speaking immigration, uh, the people who spoke Yiddish, emigrating to, or immigrating to New York City and the United States and around, and then um, applying their poetry and lyric writing and songwriting to uh, the new the challenges of the new world uh, perhaps some nostalgia for the old world <laughs> one obvious uh, you know when you say nostalgia for the old world in any song obviously the first one com- that comes to mind is one that everybody knows Romania Romania um, you know which paints this portrait of a, of a lost world that that's so beloved but of course that was not the reality um, but but there there is a, a a vital strain throughout this of uh, songs of social justice. Um, so you had again you have a communist songs, socialist songs. You know the whole what, whatever the the Yiddish uh, political scene was at the time, which was splintered into uh, half a dozen or a dozen different uh, leftist parties and Zionist parties, um, women's songs. Uh, songs just of struggle for for Jewish civil rights but also other other people's uh civil rights you, you know universe songs addressing universal uh social justice concerns so this continues uh in the United States to a significant extent up to the and including you know the late 1930s and and early 1940s and we all know what happened historically in the world at that point um you know, there's a tremendous loss of uh, Yiddish-speaking Jews in the world, and and in the culture itself, there is a um, you know temporary but significant. Uh, I don't want to say turning one's back on, but but looking elsewhere. Um, you, at, the, at the same time, you have the the um, settlement and formation of the state of Israel and its new Hebrew culture. So that kind of takes over and there's Hebrew poetry and then Hebrew folk songs becomes a, uh, a big thing. And um, just to, to bring it up to date, um, fast forward a couple of decades, 1970s, uh, a new generation of young people go back and listen to their parents or grandparents records and say, Hey, you know, this is really great music. We want to uh, learn more about it, start investigating, start uh, learning how to play and sing the old Yiddish songs, um, especially songs that have meaning for them. I mean, this is a period of time in the United States where there's a lot of political activism, anti-war sentiment, civil rights struggle. And so these all feed together because these are concerns of of primarily uh, what we're talking about of American Jews, Jewish musicians at the time, but also who find that their tradition has been addressing these issues for a hundred years. And um, it's bringing us totally up to date here. It's continued. Now we have a whole new generation, which are both expanding the uh, tradition of Yiddish songs in general and Yiddish songs of social justice musically, topically, um, and and in all those ways that make it speak to this particular uh, language and accent of our time. And I think one of the things that's surprising in this is one that there are songs that exist um, that were ways to sort of mobilize and galvanize and people around various issues related to injustice um, and and all the other aspects of 
of that that you've mentioned. But also interesting about the program um, and the selection of songs is it's not uh, simply that they've been sort of plucked up from existing songs and, you know, they're being performed. There are ways that these relate to poetry. Um, some of the work is translated um, and, and then put to music, etc. It's just interesting that it builds on and it sort of borrows from and draws on the roots of this aspect of Yiddish culture and the place of song. Um, and that it sort of, no pun intended, plays out in, in different ways for all of these different performers. So I'm curious, when you approached the performers about this, was it a stretch for some of them or did they immediately know exactly what they wanted to perform? That's a great question. And I would say that, that it varied. Uh, for some, um, it was, you know, right up their alley. Like when we decided that, that uh, we were going to do this particular Yidstock with this theme, there were a few artists who immediately came to mind because if you talk about so, uh, Yiddish songs of social, social justice, um, you know, we think of a few artists immediately who we know um, have already been working in this field um, and not only digging up old songs, but um, modernizing them or, or creating uh, brand new songs or, or, or singing new songs. So, for example, somebody like Daniel Kahn, who's been at Yitzdok several times, um, who's very devoted, who's really, uh, you know, be all and end all with his band, The Painted Bird. He has other projects, too, but it's really all about uh political songs and, 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 and protest songs. Then again, there were some other artists on the program who necessar aren't necessarily always um, thought of as, as singing that kind of song. Um, so uh, that was fun to say to, to certain artists, hey, you know what, we're doing this and what would you think about, um, uh, you know, what, what if I, what would you think about doing a song of, that addresses social justice. We can help you find songs that we think are suited to your style. And, you know, they said yes. Um, and so it was a fun, it was a fun way of, uh, you know, juggling the tried and true, the people who are familiar to Yidstock audiences and who people like want to see every year. And then, it, then some people who were both new to Yidstock audiences who were doing things a little bit differently, even in one or two cases, um, people who were, were reaching out, whose source material may not have been exactly in the Yiddish tradition, but, but who were able to do works from other traditions that totally tied in with the Yiddish tradition and the Yiddish story and the struggle for social justice. I will give our listeners um, a little whatever warning that well it's not a warning needed because there is no spoiler alert needed um we have agreed to keep the songs and the titles and the works under wraps until the program airs and we're doing this because it really it really adds to the whole program to sort of let it unfold for you so we won't be mentioning any names here on the program and we won't be bleeping them out either Right, Seth. We've, we've... Yeah. no, absolutely. I mean, we get, you know, we'll we'll let you know who the people are. Right. But it really, as you just said, use the great word. I think uh, unfold and and the way we um, hoped to, and I think I'd like to think successfully after now that we've we've seen the finished uh, seventy-five minute project. You see, so each of these musicians submitted, 
a, um, a self-made video of themselves performing these songs. And, you know, we put it in, in a way and, and put it together. And we always had, had this in the back of our minds that this would indeed unfold much like a, um, a both a movie because you're watching a TV show, a documentary or a movie in a way, because you're seeing it on the screen, you know, or like a concert that's, that really has a, a program and a theme. And, and I hope that both musically and thematically that gets carried through and, and revealed over the course of the 75 minutes. At least that was the intention. And, and, you know, it, it's interesting to talk about it from both, if I may, let's use the, um, the idea of from the stage and from the audience, because one, we had to make a decision to go virtual because we weren't at a point um, with everything that was happening with the pandemic, where we thought it was going to be safe to bring people back here in July. And um, so we made a decision to go virtual this year. And I think that that was, it, it wasn't hard to make that decision, but it's hard to wrap one's mind around how do you recreate that experience, both for the performers who have nobody in the real audience and for the audience who's lacking that, you know, uh, everything that a live concert brings, brings to the experience. And I have to say, Seth, that, you know, I, I was anxious uh, waiting to see the videos and was struck by the intimacy of the performance and how beautifully they hold together, even though they were done, you know, as 12 separate recordings recorded in what Berlin, the UK, the US, um, many countries. And it's, uh, it's really interesting that it changes one's, uh, you know, experience. And yet it's an incredibly powerful and very satisfying experience to watch it now, having watched it several times. I wonder what your thoughts were when you saw it all together. Yes, uh, very much understand what, what you and agree with what you just said. Um, you know, on the one hand, you do have this intimacy because it's literally from the performers' living rooms where most most of them film themselves at home uh, to some extent. And, and then you're viewing it in your living room. Um, but what happens then when you put it all together, as I said, and you have this arc, hopefully, that, that works musically, um, on a whole other level, something else is happening because it's not just the individual intimate uh, thing that each piece is in a way, you know, it's like a play or, or in, in that, in that it uh, bit by bit establishes this great, greater meaning to it. Also, I just wanted to make one uh, point out one thing, you know, we did have, it's, it's kind of a weird word to use, but, but in a sense, we had the luxury of the fact that um, over the last uh, almost year and a half now, um, you know, the musicians had been experimenting from, from, you know, from day one, how to present themselves over, say, like a Zoom concert or, or something like that. So by the time, you know, earlier this year, we started talking to the musicians about creating these 
individual about them self-producing themselves in these videos. They'd all done it before to some extent. Not only had they done it before, so they got down the technical stuff about good sound, good lighting, how to how to deal with you know the presentation, knowing that it's coming out of a TV screen or a computer screen, but also to some extent for for some of the artists even beyond that, how to um, use the medium itself. Even even more so, uh, approaching it in in other more creative ways. So you'll see that that you know while plenty of these are straightforward performance videos, although you know they're only straightforward in in that manner because everybody does creative things with the music and and with their uh, you know, their um, their introductions. But a few people have even done things visually. Is is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. In other words, really taking advantage of of the medium to uh, to in, invest what their performance with with layers upon layers of meaning. And I don't want to say any more than that again because <laughs> because I don't you know spoiler alerts. Uh, but I just do want people to know that this is not just 12 people sitting around one after the other playing guitar or piano singing you a song like a hootenanny it's it's this is a state-of-the-art uh 21st century virtual cyber uh celebra- celebration event and you know it's interesting also after the fact to think uh, you ever play that game? If I were on a desert island, what one food would I need? Uh, to put it to a performer and say, "What one song?" You get one song, right. and there's a lot riding on that. Um, so, what was like? What was it like for you to approach both curating a virtual program and also um, to, you know, ask for that one song? Yeah, no it was, it, it, it's interesting because it's obviously. Uh, very different from what a, uh, a typical Yidstock four-day festival, seven separate concerts by by different artists or bands, where there you know there may be some some conceptual conversations going on about what they may present, but but n- not to this extent of actually talking individually with tell diff- twelve a dozen different artists or or duos or trios or whatever and and saying um you know let's discuss the song that you're going to do so you know i kind of started out i i had a list of stuff that just in case people wanted suggestions i went through and found stuff that i thought oh it'd be great if this one if somebody and yeah and i even did have oh i would love to hear this person do this song um uh and um so I would say, like I said a little bit earlier, in half the cases, people, you know, reach into your repertoire and find the song that that means the most to you. Comfort- so so that when you deliver it, when you talk about it before you start singing it, and when you deliver it, it will uh, it will communicate di- so directly and and the word you keep using that I love so intimately to the listener through <laughs> through the, the cables and the wires underneath the Atlantic Ocean or however however it gets to us from from Berlin. Um, uh, so it was a it was a lot of fun uh, going over with them. Um, 
having these conversations and saying, you know, well, you know, we're, and then as they came in, you know, bit by bit, it starts taking shape. And then it's like, well, you can't do that song because somebody else uh, claimed that one earlier. But in the end, as, as, as you, you, know, you noted, you know, now that we can sit back and watch and see, see what happened, I think we've got such an incredible, you know, on the one hand, variety of themes and styles um, uh, and, and approaches and different instruments and, and different kinds of voices, but all somehow unified also by some very basic things, by the Yiddish language, by the themes of social justice, um, so that, uh, you know, you really have the best of both worlds. And I think it's probably safe to say that music is a very emotional medium. Um, it elicits a lot of different responses from us all. And that, and that again becomes really apparent here. Um, that they're in the ways that these artists have chosen to both choose the, the songs and perform them, and yet they thread together in an interesting way. I would love to know if there was one sort of aspect that was most surprising to you mm. in all of this. Mm. Yes, well, um, you know, some of the musicians really surprised me as, as much as I had conversations with them beforehand about repertoire and about approach and about sound. Um, some people did things that I had no idea they were going to do. Um, you know, whether it be take it in a musical direction that, I, that, I, that uh, I didn't know they were going to do or take it in a visual direction that was stunning or, or just uh, as you, as you uh, when you use that word emotional, I remember, you know, there, there were several of these videos that I watched and I just was so moved, uh, literally, you know, watching them for the first time, seeing them to tears, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, a lot of this is, it's serious material. Mm -hmm. It's presented beautifully, but not at the expense of the... Um, the, the importance and significance of what these songs are about. These songs, uh, you know, uh, really about human rights and what it means to be human and how to treat people and, and, and what's fair. And, you know, all themes which, again, were, uh, you know, Yiddish uh, writers were, were writing about in the late 19th century, in the early 20th century, in the mid 20th century. And, um, and you take all those themes and all those songs and you can sing them today or you write new ones today based on those old ones or, or in that tradition. And, and it's unfortunately just as relevant as, as it was back then. Hey, you know, one thing we haven't done, we haven't really talked about who's, who, who the artists are. We just, ah, really that we can share, Seth. But um, we, and we can certainly tell them who they are because that's on the website, right? That, that you can do. And, and please forgive the thunder in back of me. It's, <laughs> It's not yeah. just the thunderous applause, um, but yeah, let's let's have you talk a little bit about them. Thank you. Sure, sure. So there, there's a dozen videos, and um, okay, I'm just going to go through through the list and say one or two things quickly about everybody. So Sarah Gordon and Michael Winograd are performing together. Sarah, of course, is is one a wonderful um, 
she's a fourth generation Yiddish folk singer, really steeped in the music, knows so much about it. And and her good friend and our good friend, Michael Winograd, clarinetist, is, you know, really uh, one of the top uh, musicians and composers and producers of his generation. They often work together. So so they're they're terrific. Um, a name that may not be familiar to many people, but somebody I've been talking to for years and watching her videos and listening to her songs is Nikki Jacobs, because she's based in Amsterdam and doesn't really perform hardly at all in the United States, you know, occasionally at a festival here or there. But um, I've, I've always wanted to work with her and it just it always had to be the right occasion. Now, one of the the way, you know, to deal with the lemons that we got because we couldn't all be together was to make lemonade. And that was, okay, now's the time that I can reach out to somebody who lives in Europe and, and I don't have the expense of flying them over and, and, um, and putting them up in a hotel. So, and also I knew that Nikki uh, very strongly had an identification with these kinds of songs. So I can go on and on and talk about what Nikki does, but uh, I think she's, you know, all 12 videos are fantastic and moving and meaningful. Um, Hers for me, because she's new and because I kind of like took a gamble on this, uh, you know, it really blew me away when I saw what she did. Daniel Kahn, we mentioned before, uh, he's often been at Yitzdok and and, uh, anybody who's, who goes to Yiddish music concerts in the, at, at all the major festivals in the U.S., uh, know Daniel's um, great imp- his passion, his political passion, his humor. Um, so, so he, he's on the program, along with um, Sveta Kundish and Patrick Farrell, who, like Daniel, at the time of the filming, they all lived in Berlin together. So they kind of trade off a bit on each other's songs. Sveta is a fantastic. Uh, an amazing singer who who can do so many different styles of singing from, you know, kind of straightforward cabaret style to, um, she's actually a trained cantor, so she can do cantorial music, and she can also do like avant-garde Yoko Ono type singing. Anyway, when she sings beautifully here, along with her musical partner, Patrick Farrell, who we've had at Yitzhak, uh, he's appears with a bunch of other people, he plays a uh, accordion and piano. We've got Frank London with us as always, uh, you know, member, uh, co-founder of the Klezmatics and, and Frank is doing something very special and unique for this program, which is not surprising because special and unique is pretty much Frank's two middle names and, and he always uh, pulls a rabbit out of a hat. So I'm really uh, excited to have him. Um, Sarah Meyerson and Ilya Schneves, uh, who are actually based in Brooklyn. We've never had them before. Sarah is also a, uh, a, a cantor and, uh, and Ilya is a keyboardist. He's actually a multi-instrumentalist. He plays like bass, guitar, everything. And they too did something which, you know, I had a, a basic idea about what they were going to approach. And then they took it to a place where I had no idea that they did that. And it made me so happy because, uh, because it was so cool. Uh, I can't wait to you to all. Uh, see them. Scylla Owens, we've we've um, had Scylla at Yidstock before performing with Paul Shapiro's Ribs and Brisket Review. And, you know, Scylla is just an amazing singer. She's uh, an and, and vocal teacher. Um, she, she turns in a wonderful 
uh, almost cantorial rendition of a uh, song that was very popular at the turn of the uh, 19th and 20th century. Eleanor Risa, of course, is uh, the queen of Yiddish cabaret. She's with us almost every year. She's, uh, you know, perennially popular at Yidstock. And, and uh, I'll just say that I think that, you know, what she per- turns in for this year's Yidstock is utterly and totally appropriate. And I think that was one of the ones that I knew immediately, okay, Eleanor is going to do this song and, and, and it's going to be perfect for, for the program. Um, Yidstock attendees may recall and uh, Paulina and Merlin Shepard who are based in uh, the UK um, Pauline is actually originally from the uh, so the Soviet East, and uh, she's bit by bit has made her way west, and and they perform in in festivals all over the world, and uh, and they dug out this uh, actually really somewhat funny, but oh, because it was a sat, it was originally a satirical song. Um, but then it took on some some very serious meaning, so uh, they revived that. Um, Lauren Sklamberg, the vocalist for the Klezmatics, of course, uh, we had to have him, and and he, he turns in just a beautifully, as you say, intimate uh, performance of a song that he really wanted to perform. New to our audience, this is Tatiana Wexler, who um, I guess I saw her... Um, you know, maybe a video of something uh, that the Folksbina, the New York uh, Yiddish Theater, National Yiddish Theater Folksbina did. And, and I thought, wow, she's what an amazing performer. And she is also one of those who, okay, we talked things over. We, we talked about repertoire and style. Um, she worked with Frank London on her piece, but then what she turned in, uh, just you'll see, bold, will bold us all over. And finally, but last but definitely not least, Eleanor Vea and Zoe Aqua um, work together in a band called Sibila. Sometimes here, the the two of them together uh, turn in just just a wonderful. Um, you know, Eleanor's introduction is is almost as good as her performance. So uh, I'll just leave it at that. So. That's a quick summary, uh, maybe not so quick, of, uh, <laughs> of the 75 minutes of music you're going to hear starting on Sunday at 4 p.m. So for the listeners, uh, let's share out. You can get a ticket to the virtual program, uh, which will begin streaming on Sunday, July 14th at 4 p.m. And for those who have tickets, you'll be given a link, which you'll be able to view for 72 hours. All the information is at yiddishbookcenter.org slash yidstock and while we love having this event here and next year in Amherst as they say uh, the good news is that we unlike yidstock in the past where we can only pack so many of you into our performance hall this virtual theater takes everybody so tickets are available there's no traffic there's no travel so uh, basically sit back on your couch bring family and friends together and participate again, yiddishbookcenter.org slash Yidstock. We look forward to knowing that you're in our virtual audience. Um, And also we'll mention Seth that we are having a couple of our regular public programs are dedicated to uh, a few conversations and talks related to Yidstock. The first one being tomorrow. uh, Well, tomorrow for those of us who are in real time now, not on the (laughs) podcast. Um, 
But anyway, you'll find information about those talks, which includes one by Seth about 60s protest music. Uh, and that information, again, is at YiddishBookCenter.org backslash events, where you'll also find information about Yidstock. So, um, Seth, thanks for yet another Yidstock. And um, it'll be really fun to have everybody back here, but also to know that people around the globe will be able to be part of this uh, year's virtual Yiddish books, the uh, British Book Center Festival. Um, and I'd also like to take two seconds, if I may, to thank um, a lot of the people behind the scenes here. Um, Matt Adelson, who is our production manager, usually always here for Yidstock, but with us for virtual. Greg Bell, who is one of my colleagues here at the Yiddish Book Center, who has uh, been doing all of the video editing for us. Amber Clooney, who will make all of this happen on the website for those of you who will be watching it and streaming it. Um, and again, to everybody else who's participated, all the musicians. So thanks. And um, we'll see you soon, I hope. Seth? I can't wait till people see it. And please, let, please, everybody out there listening, let me know what you think. Great. Take care. And thanks for joining me, Seth. Thank you. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.